This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. This is the Mark Madden Unfiltered Podcast from the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, yo. None of these friggin' old-timey quarterbacks will go away. There's a rumor Tom Brady might come out of retirement again and play for Miami. Phillip Rivers wants to come back. Aaron Rodgers might go to New York, but he won't go away. I wonder when Ben and Peyton Manning are going to come back. I hope they don't. This is the Mark Madden Podcast on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Bet now from anywhere. Let's welcome now to the program my co-host Tom Offerman. Tom, uh, I want to talk about Pitt basketball for a moment, and I know nothing about it and don't care, but you're a Pitt fan, so you have to carry yes. uh, this portion of the podcast. Did Jeff Capel deserve ACC Coach of the Year, and how did Pitt go from 11 wins to currently 21? Despite the fact that there's such a bad taste in your mouth right now with the Pitt program by embarrassingly losing to a 2-16 and Notre Dame team and really putting your turn- tournament hopes in some jeopardy and then losing the de facto ACC championship game against Miami by two points, I do think he still deserves it. They were picked to finish 14th in the conference, second to last, be the basement, be the doormat as always, and he got them 14 wins. So even though it was a bad ending... 14 wins in a Power 5 conference is pretty good from where they were projecting him to be. So I'd say, yes, he deserves it. I still think he's a jerk. Now, did do they need to win a game in the ACC tournament to make the NCAA tournament? Is that required, or if they if they go one and done in the ACC and that that would be three losses in a row, does that knock them out of March Madness? No, they got to win on Wednesday. They play at two thirty. The winner of Florida State and Georgia Tech. If they lose to either one of those teams, that's a nail in the coffin. You're going to the NIT. You win that game, I'm pretty sure you're in the NCAA tournament. So it's kind of a de facto win in your end game because if they win that, they'd play Duke. You know they love Duke at the committee. They're not going to fault Pitt for losing to Duke. Duke's the best. Can't get better than Duke. So just take care of business on Wednesday and you're in. But they lost to Florida State already this year, Mark, at Pitt. So it's not a guarantee that they're going to win that game. No, I don't think there's any guarantees uh, no matter who this team plays. I think they could beat anybody but also lose to anybody, uh, and, and they've proven both ends of that this season. Is this a fluke year for Pitt or the start of a revival at Pitt? How many of these players will be back, what with NIL and all the freedom of movement in the transfer portal? No idea how many players will be back. They are losing players just naturally, though. Like Three of their starters and the sixth man of the year of the ACC, Nike Sabande, are all graduating from this year. So there's a lot of turnover from important players as it is. What, what's his first name? Nike. 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 As in the shoe. As in the shoe. How could he not be just loaded with NIL money? You know what? Adidas should have got him to change his name to Adidas. 
that would have been a hell of a hell of a marketing. He was Nike, but now he's Adidas. That's how you know you're coming off the bench at Pitt, though. That you don't have those kind of shoe companies in your pocket with a name like that that make it such a layup for them. It, it really does. <laughs> I I am amazed. Uh, but okay. yeah, there's a lot of changeover next year with graduating people, so it will be a test for Capel right away to see if you can sustain this because it ain't like he's bringing the band back together. You, you know what I don't like? I don't like that that Pitt fans are looking at the ACC tournament as a means to an end. Uh, you know, they just want to win a game and make the NCAA's. I, some of my best memories of Pitt basketball when I cared about it, which was when it was in the Big East, was when they won the Big East tournament. That was reward in and of itself, and even to go far in the Big East tournament. Let's face it, Pitt's not been to the Final Four since 1941. How do you count that anyway? Uh, come on, it was wartime, Tom. Everybody <laughs> did what they could. Uh, not quite wartime. Not life during wartime, but that's what they said about the talking heads. Uh, they're never going to make the Final Four again, no. let alone win the NCAA tournament. So why isn't their focus on something like the conference tournament like there used to be with Pitt in the Big East? Oh, I couldn't agree more. Pitt fans are an odd bunch, and I can say that being a part of that cult following of that school. You want to just win that game on Wednesday because then you get the nice little security blanket of being in the NCAA tournament. But you absolutely want to win the ACC tournament. I want to beat Duke and Miami it's, it on the way to the like finals. It seems like there's no emphasis on it, that at all. It's ridiculous. And given how well they did during the regular season, like you said, just missing the ACC regular season title, it seems that you know in this a down year for the ACC that it's winnable. And then you can do that thing where, since you didn't win the regular season title, if you go on a run and win the tournament, you can poo-poo Miami and Virginia's regular season title and be like, no one cares about the regular season. It's all about the tournament, right? Well, I, I think it is all about the tournament. Well, that would be emphasized by the fact that that's how you get your automatic bid. Like the NCAA tournament doesn't care who wins the regular season. Okay, I'm tired of talking about basketball. I talked about some Steeler draft options on my radio show. On a scale of 1 to 10, where would you rank these options for the Steelers regarding what they do in the first round. Number one option, and this is the one I favor, I would trade up using pick 17 and 32 to draft an elite left tackle like Skorowski or Johnson. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, i give that an 8. What say you? I'd give it a 9 because those guys aren't going to make it to 17. Right. I've been doing a lot of mock draft simulators because I'm a nerd oh, on Pro Football Focus. Oh, God. They never make it. Skaronsky doesn't make it. Paris Johnson doesn't make it to 17 ever. Even the corners don't make it. Christian Gonzalez from Oregon, even Peasy's kid hasn't made it to 17 a lot of the time when I'm doing the draft. So if you want to get a premier talent and you have that 30-second pick now in your back pocket, which, use which it. Which they're not going to have moving forward. They're not going to have the draft capital to trade up nope. in, in, in the next couple of years. No, because they just that's not their nature, right? They don't sell off assets to get draft picks like that to then use to move up. They have it this year because they did sell off the Chase Claypool asset. Use it. 17 and 32 to move into the top 10, and I'd take Skronik, I'd take Johnson, or I'd take one of the big corners. Skronsky, please. Let's we we strive for accuracy. And... Pretty sure it's Skronik. No, it's Skronsky. It says right here. Okay. From Northwestern. Yeah. It's Skronsky. Okay. Uh, if you're wrong, you're fired. I'll just finish this by myself. But the point is, you're not going to get an elite left tackle. It is Skaronsky. I'm fired. Should I turn off my mic now and leave? No, because it's too hard to do by myself. Okay, perfect. And not only that, I've been saying Skaronsky all week on the show. You should have corrected me if you thought it was Skaronik, <laughs> you dope. Uh, anyway, you won't get an elite left tackle any other way. You won't have the Correct. resources to trade up in the future. You're going to keep finishing middle, drafting middle, staying middle, and that's not how you get that guy. 
And you need to protect Pickett because he's been concussed twice already. And I'm sorry, I know he's overachieved for a fourth-round pick, especially in his first two seasons. Dan Moore Jr. at left tackle, uh, ain't it? And how many times have you heard Steeler fans who talk outside both of their both sides of their mouth more than any fan base ever say all that offensive line needs? That stud anchor. You get that big-time superstar, and everything else falls into place. And now we're at the point where you're like, okay, you can do that if you couple these draft picks and move up. And they're like, oh, I don't know. You don't want to move up. I'd rather have the quantity and get a bunch we of different picks. We need every pick we yes, can exactly. because we have so many holes. And part of the reason I think they need to trade up is if you don't fill that extra hole because you trade a pick away, yes. you're going to have holes at the end of this draft no matter what. I see building a team within the context of this division and this conference with all those quarterbacks, to build a team that can win a playoff game is going to be a two- or three-year process. And like it or not, that's how they should look at it. And you need to make your down payment on the left tackle if Pickett is indeed the future of your franchise. He, you've got to have a left tackle that can grow into the future with him for 10 years, and those two are it. They're not going to get past the top 10, though. You have to jump in there. Okay, my second option, draft Joey Porter Jr., Cornerback from Pitt, I give that a 6 out of 10. I'm not crazy about it. He might have to switch to safety. He might be too handsy and get a lot yeah. of interference penalties in the NFL. And even though a lot of people think he's going to be a high pick, I feel like you'd be making potentially the right pick, but for the wrong reasons, hashtag buddy system. Yeah, the corner that I've been more infatuated with has been Christian Gonzalez, the one out of Oregon. I think if he's the one there, then you take him, and you can avoid that buddy system problem. But you're right, like, it, it's kind of like they're going to reap what they sow now, because if they didn't have all this buddy system problem leading into this, Joey Porter Jr. would make sense as the pick, right? Like, you wouldn't really have this avenue well, to criticize it. I, I, you know what scares me? But the me? track record is there, and you're just like, I don't want to do this again. I've seen this. And I don't want to hear all the stories and, dra- you know, they interview Peasy, and he talks about how he got shot in Denver and, and all this. I mean, you know, he should be roomies with Joe Mixon. At this point, um, yeah, I, I just don't want to deal with all that. And it worries me that some people think he might have to switch to safety. And you do hear that talked about, that he might be like, what, a tad slow maybe? And I hear the phrase too big used too, but uh, I'm okay with the cornerback who's too big. Yeah, the Steelers just don't need another safety. If they have to move him for safety. Nobody an, needs another safety. It's an Mink, abject Mink is, failure. Mink is the best safety in football. He's never won a playoff game. You know, the only safeties that kind of were Pulamalu, Reed, maybe Woodson and Lott. That, that's that's it. That's the list. And my third option, of course, is to draft Jordan Addison, wide receiver, Southern Cal, X of Pitt. I ranked that five on a 10 scale. He'd reunite with Pickett. I do acknowledge you can't have too many weapons. I laugh when people compare the potential of that combination to Burrow and Chase because they played college ball together too. And Addison did have a bad combine. He did have a bad combine. Do you think that's really going to damage him, though? Like, how much stock do you think they really put into that? In the combine, very little. Very little. I think when everybody, for example, just kind of leans back before the draft and decides where they should draft Kalijah Kansi, the kid from Pitt, the defensive tackle who ran, what was it, the 4.6740? I think they're going to say, just another fat guy. I don't think they're going to take him seriously because of that. Like, if Addison dropped a pick or two because of that, that's about the extent of the damage. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Dan Campbell, Detroit's head coach, was quoted about the combine saying, like, he doesn't really care about these, like, workouts, the underwear Olympics, as people always call them. He just wants to meet these guys face-to-face and see that they're, you know, people that he'd like to be around in his locker room. And then he watches the tape. The tape's what matters. So I don't think it's going to really hurt Jordan Addison. 
That was like my least favorite take right when the season ended, when people were like, you got to get Addison and reunite him with Pickett. But if they don't move up and all those other guys are gone and he is there at 17, I don't think I'd be that mad at it at that point. No, but then again, you talk about filling holes. That's not a hole. It's not. You are taking a luxury guy at that point. And you have to, have to, have to then take whatever best tackle is available at 32, right? No matter what, even if you don't like him that much. And you're also asking a second-year quarterback and a nitwit offensive coordinator to find a way to get enough balls to Pickens, Addison, and Deontay, which is good because I think Deontay might be odd man out and he would snap. One of them will snap for sure. Yeah. Are you putting too much on Matt Canada's plate? I can't believe that you have to say that about an offensive coordinator in the NFL, but you have to wonder that. I think... Is more weapons bad for this guy, Mark? Put it this way, though. I've looked at Cincinnati's stats where they have Higgins, Boyd, and Chase. Tremendous. And and, and Boyd, I mean, they throw a lot of balls, too. Of course. But, like, if, if Boyd wasn't a team guy, he'd be pissed sooner or later. He really would. You always have to get lucky with that, too, right? Like yes. You just have to have guys that are driven to win and driven to take the role that is given to them and be like, I'm a number three on this team. Or maybe when they can't afford T. Higgins, you know, Boyd, Boyd gets a bit more up. money and a few yeah. more balls. Yeah. And he becomes the number two. He can see the forest through the trees. Do you think any of those three options I have laid out here will happen? I don't think number one's going to happen, even though it's the one that I want to happen. No, that, that's not going to happen. They're going to take Peasy's kid. If he's there. If he's there, they're going to take Peasy's kid. I've I, seen him projected as high as 10th, though. I lately. actually, yes. I actually wouldn't be surprised if whoever's there, Addison or Peasy's kid, that's who they'll go with at 17, those two guys. I, I heard some guy on the B team, some draft guy from CBS Sports, said the Steelers are going to take an edge rusher at 17. The follow-up question should have been, hey, are you a dork or what? I mean, that's the one thing they won't take. I don't care how good the guy is. Yeah, that's just grasping at straws there. Draft talk is some of my favorite stuff every year because it's just the stupidest thing that you hear, especially the interviews with players when they always are like, would you like to play for this team and this coach? No, oh, yeah, I'd no, love- I wouldn't. <laughs> wouldn't that be great? Not ever. That'd be the headline. If someone was finally like, that scumbag, I could never play for him. Not I would retire before <laughs> I let them draft me. Yeah, Tortorella doesn't coach in the NFL. <laughs> Uh, okay, we got five guys. What do we got? All right, these five guys are radio DJs in movies. And a disclaimer at the top, I didn't put Howard Stern from Private Parts in this list. He's playing himself. Playing himself, right. yeah. And even though I think some of these are influenced by real-life people, they're not the real-life person playing themselves. Okay, All right, number five, have you ever seen the movie Pirate Radio? Yes. Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, The Count. Yes, What Excellent. a great character. The whole, the whole boat's incredible, that whole operation. And if you like radio, that's just an incredible movie. You can't movie. go wrong with Philip Seymour Hoffman. All right, number four, Wayne's World 2, Handsome Dan. When they're pitching uh, Wayne stock and he, like, zones out on them. Uh-huh. And, yeah, exactly. Is that right? He's like, you like to uh, touch little boys, I heard, right? Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, wow. And he puts in a sound <laughs> effect. The sound here. Yeah, he, like, hears one at the very end. Yeah, no, that, that Handsome Dan, good call. What else you got? All right, Airheads, Joe Mantegna. Tremendous. Ian Tremendous. The Shark. Ian the Shark. Great movie, too, Airheads. Nobody a- changes my format. One of his niche roles, but what a great Adam Sandler role, too, in that little niche character as the drummer. I think that's one of Adam Sandler's better movies. It's a great movie. You know, plus the cast. Buscemi, Brendan Fraser, Adam Sandler's the band. uh, Kramer's the sales guy. Michael McKean. As the as the uh, general manager, I mean, the, was he GM or program director? Kind of both, right? I think he was kind of both. Yeah, I think he. I think it was playing kind of both. I don't think they had a GM and a program director. Yeah, I'm sorry, I can't think of any of Ian the Shark's better lines right now because he had it's a few. Been a while since I've seen Airheads. I should go in and rewatch it. All right, number two, Joe Dirt, Xander Kelly, Dennis Miller's character, which yes. is really the whole movie is just Joe Dirt telling a story on the radio. Yes, yes, Dennis Miller again can't go wrong. 
And then number one, Adrian Cronauer from Good Morning Vietnam. I thought that movie was a little bit overrated. I loved Good Morning Vietnam. But it's a good movie. And he's just such a great... Like, you could see if Robin Williams in some alternate universe was that for a living. He'd be amazing as a radio DJ. Now, you know you left out, but it's a talk show host. Who? Eric Bogosian um, in talk radio. I should see talk radio. It's a it's a Since great. Since I'm in talk radio, it's exact. It's a great movie. He's not sports talk. He's like uh, okay, like hot talk, and um, he gets killed at the end of the movie by uh, wow. by some neo Nazi because he you know is is you know a liberal by the standard of of you know well I guess by the standard of neo Nazi wow. certainly because they killed him was well, based on a true story. So a dramatic take on radio. Alan Berg from Denver. Okay. Got killed, and, it, and like he was a the, Eric Bogosian's character was a total scumbag, and, and like not at all sympathetic through the movie. Like he just lies, he you know manipulates. It, it's just you know it's a great movie, and it it made me really consider Bogosian one of my favorite actors because he's just he doesn't done a ton of roles, but like but like he was great. He, like he saved Under Siege too, believe it or not. <laughs> I mean, my God, if if you could do that. You can do anything. Right, right. Okay, good list. Now, uh, Penguins play five games in a row at home. Feels like make or break time, doesn't it? Columbus, Islanders, Philadelphia, Rangers, Montreal. What's your prediction, Tom? How many games will they win out of those five? I'm assuming they're going to beat the Jackets, they're going to beat the Flyers, and they're going to beat the Canadians. They have to. If their back's against the wall and they're going to fight like hungry animals like you've referenced them looking like recently, not so much in Florida but in Tampa Bay, they got to win those games. Those are doormat teams. Just step on them, get six points under your belt. And then you got to sneak at least another point out in the other two games, I think. Go to overtime. Oh, no. I, I think at home you got to do better than that. Like, yeah. If they go 3 1 and 1, that looks good, but it's not good enough. I think they need to go 5 and 0 or 4 0 and 1. I think the worst they can do, where, where I'd feel good about it moving forward, is 4 0 and 1. And the thing, if they do that, they open up some legitimate space in that wild card race. Right now, as we speak, You've got six teams in the wild card race separated by four points. That's crazy. You have a couple bad games. You're, you're, you know, on the outside looking in all of a sudden. Yeah, I can't believe those bastards in Ottawa got hot and decided to throw their hat in the ring this year, too. Got beat last night, though. Good, good. Uh, Ottawa, Washington, Buffalo got beat uh, last night. We record this on Tuesday. The one thing, or the one game that you'd think that they would probably lose is the Rangers, right? Like, that's the one that you maybe forgive them the most for losing. Like you well, got to beat the but Islanders. Then, but then after these five games at home, they go to the Garden for two games it's in a be row. Crazy. And uh, they could catch them realistically. If, if, if they yeah. sweep the Rangers, they could catch them or go two zero and one against them. But actually, sweeping would help because you don't want to give them any points. And they're what I think six points behind as we speak. And this. it would really help if they'd continue to not be able to click on their power play and struggle to gel a little bit post trade deadline. That could give the Penguins a little bit of runway to get hot and sneak up on them before that three games and four uh, four days set or whatever it is. Okay, my top three list for today is the top three Will Ferrell sports movies. Oh, perfect! Uh, because I watched Semi Pro again over the weekend. <laughs> I might have even done this list before, but it seems like it should be done. Number three, and am I? He's only done three, but number three, Talladega Nights. I thought that movie is wide, wildly overrated, Tom. I thought Sacha Baron Cohen, he didn't ruin it, but he made it worse. I knew they, I know they needed a heel to be his competition on the track, but I, I don't think, what was the character's name? Jean Girard. I don't think he was it. I, I just, I'm not a big Sacha Baron Cohen fan. The only thing I liked him in was uh, Borat, but only in the skits, not Before the, the movie. the movie became a thing? Right, the skits. And uh, what was his uh, Ali G? Oh, Ali G's great. Ali G. That to me, Ali G was his uh, best thing. 
a huge Sasha Baron Cohen fan. Love the Borat movies. Boo. So, yeah. What about The Dictator? Did you see that? Not his best work, but still kind of funny. It wasn't anybody's I, I, best I, work. John C. Riley, though. What a character. In Talladega Nights. Nights. Yeah. Oh, my God. Cal Dalton Jr. Yeah, the tremendous. Best. No, no. Like I said, everything but Sasha Baron Cohen was excellent. <laughs> uh, okay, number two. Blades of Glory. Such a great movie. Very so funny. Underrated. Here's how good it was. Even Napoleon Dynamite was funny. Which, let's face it, since Napoleon Dynamite, he's not necessarily done great, has he? No. Will Arnett, such a great heel, too. Yes, With yes. Amy, Amy Poehler as yes, well as the yes. two heels. Oh, perfect. Uh, by the way, did uh, I ever tell you David Spade's uh, statement on my radio show once? David Spade came on the show to plug uh, the Benchwarmers. Yeah. The movie. Yeah. And David Spade's one of my favorite comedians ever. This is back it's at 1250. And, uh... And so I did the generic opening. I go, well, you know, tell me something about the bench wars. He goes, well, I, it's a movie I did with my buddy um, Rob Schneider from Saturday Night and uh, Napoleon Dynamite. And I said, isn't his name John Heater? He goes, trust me, in five or ten years, he'll just be Napoleon Dynamite. And he is just Napoleon Dynamite. But Blades of Glory is such an underrated movie. Really off the beaten path of the Will Ferrell catalog, too, but it's so great. Especially when it does the quick change, like at the end. Like he strips down and strips into the new outfit real quick, and they're like, one of his many unique skill sets, the quick change, being on display here from Chaz Michael Michaels. Underrated, William Fickner is the adopted father (laughs) who's only in a movie. Yeah, just he goes, he goes, wow, lifetime. That's a long time. And coach is their coach. Um, Craig, Craig T. Nelson, Nelson yeah. who, by the way, I didn't realize because I've only started watching reruns late night of Young Sheldon okay. because of my insomnia. <laughs> he's 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 the boy, he's the grandmother's boyfriend in Young Sheldon. Craig T. Nelson, yeah, and he's tremendous. He's coach. He's tremendous. Uh, and number one, of course, semi pro. Yeah, I think it's the best Will Ferrell movie. Period. And I saw the actual ABA, and it captured that vibe. It really did. We'll vote, and then we'll fight. Because <laughs> uh, those games were all out brawls half the time in the ABA. Yeah. And you had the weirdo names, like the Flint Tropics, because they moved somewhere like Miami, and they kept to the Flint, name. Yeah. Right, exactly. That, but you had that in the NBA, too. Utah Jazz. I've been to Utah. There's no sign of Jazz. Los Angeles Lakers. Right, yeah. there's no Lakes. There, there was a uh, there was Jazz, is Jazz in New Orleans. Minneapolis. But not, not a, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Let me tell you how much I love Semi-Pro as a movie. As far as funniest sports movie of all time is concerned, it might be there. Mine has always been Major League, but I think Semi Pro might be right there. I would rank Semi Pro above Major League, but below Slapshot. You think? Oh yeah, you're Slapshot. I I, I should have known you would have gone Slapshot. Like <laughs> I, the scene when he introduces uh, Woody Harrelson, you know, <laughs> it's like just there's a rat. He punches in bunches. No, a possum. A possum. That's right. Kill it. It's not a pet. And he slaps Scootsy. Point guard. Uh, he old, all right. I got a ring up here, too. Mine says love, all right? E-L-E. Everybody love everybody. Six more hours to St. Louis. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, what do we got for good cop, bad cop? All right, actually, we're going right on a nice path here. I got SNL cast members for good cop, bad cop. Okay. My good cop, I went from someone from my era when I was watching. First of all, I should ask you, when did you stop watching SNL? That's the new appropriate question to ask people, because no one watches it anymore. So when did you stop watching it? That's a good question. Uh, I've gone back and forth. Yeah. Probably the last time I watched semi-regularly was when Farley was a cast member. Okay. For me, it was back when it was like Hader and Fred Armisen and Will Forte. And Bill Hader's my good cop because I think he his range of impressions and his skits that he did 
he's one of the more underrated, I think, SNL cast members. And it's hard to climb that mountain when you're in the 2000s. The mountain's already been climbed by so many great comedians. But I really think he did a great job. Yeah, Bill Hader's tremendous. Uh, I've not seen him in anything where I thought he was bad. Exactly. Do you watch Barry, that show he does on HBO? That I saw a couple show? episodes. It, it, it's not great, but it's good. He's great in it. But yeah, I don't think it's a show for me either. And then my bad cop is just the consensus worst cast member ever, Robert Downey Jr., who's so forgettable that he was a cast member, but such a mega star now. One of the greatest actors of all time. It's hard to think that he failed at anything, but he was miserable at SNL. Robert Downey Jr. won an Academy Award for playing a character that was so racially tinged, racist tinged in Tropic Thunder, and it was a slapstick comedy. You know what I mean? How many people How many times win? win the award there? Right, right. What do you mean, you people? What do you mean, you people? Yeah, that. Uh, uh, but he was so bad. Who else was really bad? Like Michael McKean was on Saturday Night Live and, and not memorable. There's yeah, Christopher Guest as well. Chris Rock wasn't like super memorable as far as that Farley years were concerned. Like he was there. Yeah, but he did Nate X. So he had. I remember a, he, Nate he was X. able to cut out a, a character or two. But like Julia Louis Dreyfus was a member for a year. Larry David was on the staff for a year as a writer, and they kicked him out. He just wasn't getting his skits aired. So like, there's a lot of people that SNL just kind of looks over. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, the show is a one-man gang. It's Lorne Michaels. Yep. You know, and, 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 and that's not, I'm not degrading or diminishing. That's the longest-running TV show. Is it ever now? It's got to be, It has right? to be ever, yeah. Um, so for maybe Bowling for Dollars. Ten bucks, he says, no, that doesn't even exist anymore. Remember, you never saw Slapshot, right? <laughs> no. Oh, no, I have, but it's been a while. They were betting, they're watching Bowling for Dollars, they're betting on, uh, is there anyone to like to say hello to? Ten bucks, he says, wife and kids. Ten bucks, <laughs> he says, all the guys at work. Uh, I'd watch that show. They should bring Bowling for Dollars back. Uh, Nick Perry hosted it in Pittsburgh before he fixed the lottery. <laughs> uh, now, uh, did you see the movie Lucky Numbers about fixing the I'm lottery? I'm not, no. Oh, John Travolta, Lisa Kudrow? And it's based about here in Pittsburgh, what happened? Or? Well, it is loosely. very loosely. Okay. In, in, <laughs> fact, in fact, almost not at all, except that the lottery was fixed. Uh I got to talk baseball for a second. Do you like the pitch clock? Love the pitch clock. I think baseball is going to be saved this year, Mark. I really do. Maybe I'm a blind optimist heading into this season, but pitch clock plus banning of the shift, I think we're going to get baseball back. I think it's going to be good. Games are going to be over in two and a half hours for the most part. It's good. Yeah, but did you see that in spring training, a manager did this in spring training. He There was a lefty pull hitter. He moved his left fielder into short right field. Okay. In the grass, so it's legal, but it affects the shift. Right, I gotcha. You know, and people say, well, just hit the other way. Nobody hits the other Nobody way. Nobody hits the other way. That's why they're banning the shift, is because it's it's been futile to get the hitters to adapt and hit the other way. They just refuse to do it. They're going to just kind of hit home runs and pull the ball. So maybe the shift they're going to... The managers are always going to try to to crap on it and try Which, to work around it. Every sport is ruined by coaches and managers. Exactly. And they're just trying to get the competitive edge. So can you really blame them? But you can because it's about, I can blame it's about us. It's about I the can blame them. You're not supposed to sacrifice all entertainment at the altar of efficiency. I'm reminded of indoor soccer, okay. the Pittsburgh Spirit back in the late 70s through the 80s. Yeah. That was one of the most exciting games ever. You had scores of like 14-12. And then the coaches said, how can we ruin this? How can we play defense? And and, and with, with a few years, the scores are like you know 7-6, then 3-2, and then nobody's watching. Um. I love the pitch clock, though. How about I, the, do you like banning the infield shift? I do. I, 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 like I've always said, 
When I was a kid growing up watching baseball and falling in love with the sport, every time I'm watching on TV and a batter rockets a ball right past the pitcher, it's a hit 10 times out of 10, except for when the shift started happening. And then it's an out 10 times out of 10. I like the baseball where you can't shift and put two people on one side of the bag. But I think the pitch clock's my... Even if you could shift, I think the pitch clock's my favorite move. Baseball games took too long, and now they're cutting it by 30, 40 minutes. Well, like I've been saying, soccer games have more action than any baseball game, and they take two hours. Two hours flat every time. Max. Unless you 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 get some extra time, but it's a great game if it's an extra time. Who's going to complain about that? I like uh, Max Scherzer taking the bull by the horns. You see what he's doing with the pitch clock? I have. He's getting right on the rubber. He's forcing the batters to be ready right away. Or get an automatic strike. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Make it work for you. Those are the players that I'm going to gravitate towards now in this new era. The ones that are adaptable and able to adjust to the game and use it to their advantage like Scherzer. You know what Max Scherzer should do one time? Get right on the rubber, and when the guy jumps in real quick, drill him in the head. He would have every batter like just scared to terrified, death. especially with him because he's got the two different colored eyes. That's you know? right, so exactly he looks right. Crazy in the first place, exactly right. And then, and then he laughs when he does it, like, <laughs> like right, exactly like uh, like Kevin Costner when Tim Robbins hits the bull in Bull Durham. That'd be tremendous because because like that that would like then the the batter would say, "Okay, I got to get <laughs> I got to get in the box quick." But by God, what if I do? Kapow! It's so perfect for Scherzer too because he's so like if you watch him pitching, he's like. Like licking his lips like crazy and like making these faces and screaming the f word at himself in his glove. He's a psychopath in general. Perfect person to just drill guys in the head. Now, what other changes would you make? Here's a change I'd make for baseball. It's logistically impossible, but I'd move the fences way back. Okay, you can't because the parks are what they are. Like like in the movie, did you see the Scott with Albert Brooks and Brendan Fraser? No, what a cast though. A lot of Brendan Fraser talk. A uh, Deanne Weiss too. It was brilliant. Um. Uh, a lot of Brendan Fraser talk on on today's <laughs> podcast. Uh, there's a scene in Mexico. Brendan Fraser's this American kid playing in Mexico, who nobody knows about. Albert Brooks discovers him, and he hits a home run to left field over the 706 foot mark. Because <laughs> it's one of those sight gags where you just wait a minute. 706. See the ball sailing over the fence. Just just tremendous. But like. Uh, you got the Polo Grounds in New York, the old New York Giants oh, Park, yeah. and where the Mets uh, played when they first uh, came into existence. 483 feet to dead center. But wasn't it also like 220 to left or something crazy like that? Like, couldn't you rip a pole, yeah. pool and go to the Like, like 252. Like, yeah, it was easy. But, but, but it went right out. Yeah, it like went, it was a rocket. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, uh, you, like if, you, if you had a dead pool and you, hit, you, you could like pop the ball up and it would just land in the first or second rows. I'm all for. But it wasn't as easy to do as you would think. I'm all for moving dimensions back, changing dimensions around for baseball. I actually think that's one of the cool things about baseball is how unique stadiums can be. Like a Polo Grounds was, like like Fenway with the pesky Forbes pole now. Field. Forbes, Forbes Field. Field, 457 feet to dead center. One home run to center field ever. Dick Stewart, Dr. Strangelove. But Clemente would triple all the time. A triple is more exciting than a home run. Every it just time. is. Yes. I would say move fences out Maybe make a minimum for how deep they have to be because there are some band boxes like Yankee Stadium or Great American Ballpark where it's just like, of course, Judge hits 62 home runs. He but, plays in a stadium where the furthest one's like 370. But you can't move them out. You can't. I mean, you can't move. Although, You're right. Although, you know, the argument people always make too, Tom, is I'm going to switch to hockey for a second. I used to think that they should make the wink rink wider. Okay. That, that would open up play. Now I'm wrong. Because it turned out the Olympics, when That's you right. saw NHL players play on international ice, which is um, 
NHL's 200 by 85, internationals 200 by 100 at least, sometimes 105. Ooh, wow. Okay. But Significant you know, difference. Well, you know, all it did was it didn't open play up. It just pushed the play to the outside. It didn't work the way I thought it would. But people said to me when I suggested that, well, you'd be taking out two rows of prime seating. <laughs> no, 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 you wouldn't. You'd be taking out two rows of seating in the back. Yes. That's how that works. There are still the Those first two rows. Two rows. Exactly. <laughs> they exist. They, there's still going to be people sitting right next to the boards. Now you're losing two really good. No, you're not. Shut up. <laughs> it's still the first row. You don't get this. But but I want uh, I, I want the ball in play more. Too many strikeouts, yes. walks, home runs, the three true outcomes. Think about this. At one time in American sports... The most exciting play was the home run because of Babe Ruth. Uh-huh. They ruined the home run now. It doesn't matter now. It's so commonplace, it doesn't matter. You're right about, like, there's something to station-to-station baseball when you're just kicking the crap out of a pitcher. Kind of like a boxer who you got him stuck in the corner. Like, another batter's up. Another single up the middle. Another double in the but, gap. But now like, it's just a bunch of home runs. And the yeah, other the base team, is clear, and then and it's the not other, exciting. And the other team might hit a home run. That, you know, it just it's it's just too many home runs. Yeah, and pitchers, you know, there's something too. Like you hit, a, give up a two-run home run, three-run home run, bases are cleared, pressure's kind of off now, right? If there's people on base every single time you're pitching, this could be a six, seven, eight, nine-run inning that you're looking Who, at. Who's the best fictional baseball player? Movie. Crash Davis. I'd go with uh, Roy Hobbs. Roy Hobbs. Yeah. Did you ever read the book The Natural? It is weird that I picked a player that never actually made it to the major leagues, right? But he led the minor leagues all time in home runs. I'd say wild things up there too for me. And nailed Susan Sarandon. Uh, uh, Everybody nailed Susan did, did, Sarandon. Did you read? Did you read the? Uh, no, no, that was her sidekick. Oh, that's right. The sidekick who found God. Right, right. Yeah, that's right. Susan Sarandon was only one a year. That's right. I'm uh, sorry, Susan. Or, or in the case of well, that last year it was two, it obviously. Was- <laughs> Tim Robbins and uh, and Kevin Costner. Uh, but did you ever read the book, The Natural, the novel? Never. Which is one of the greatest novels ever. But it, the movie took liberties, as you've told me a lot well, of times. Well, yeah. In, in, in the novel, Roy Hobbs strikes out, and even though he didn't fix the game, he's the, the papers, because of Max Mercy, uh, Robert Duvall's character, accused him of fixing the game, and his reputation's ruined. It's a better ending. Oh, I disagree. Oh, you don't the think book, you mean, the book is a better ending. Well, yeah. I mean, the ending on a tragedy, I always think is just better for. I movie. had heard. I don't know this for sure, and I haven't seen it in any of the various histories of the natural done. But I had heard that they shot two endings: the one in the book and the one they used. Okay. And that you know, obviously, the home run that actually made the lights explode <laughs> was was the one that was going to test better. You know what they should have done? They should have like the sparks from the lights like set kids on fire. <laughs> and, and while and while Roy Hobbs is running the base, you see little kids. Ah! Running through the stands. With a little triumph and a little tragedy. Bobby. They could that the Bobby the Bat Boy. Maybe like a light standard falls on him. That would have been tremendous. That is Tom Offerman. I'm Mark Madden. Bet now from anywhere. Thank you for listening to the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Catch new episodes of Mark Madden Unfiltered every week. Available on the Bet Rivers Network, BetRivers.com, and wherever you find your podcasts.